0: If you have your Bible, please turn with me uh, to the book of John, the gospel of John. And we're picking up again in chapter 15. This morning we'll read verses 5 through 9, and then we'll have a second scripture from the book of Leviticus. This is the word of the Lord. I am the vine, you are the branches. showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. And now from Leviticus, the other end of the Bible, chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, thank you for your word for us. And as we come into this part of our worship time... We want to hear from you. We believe that um, just maybe you have something you want to say to us. And so help us to have ears to hear. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and make yourself known in this place. And I ask, Father, that you would bind my tongue and my lips, that no false word might pass from them. Uh, If it be your will that you would even just move me aside entirely, Uh, Holy Spirit, you can speak directly to the heart, and you know exactly what needs to be said, and so please do that here this morning. We are your church, and we love you. Amen. Well, there are two primary drivers of every love relationship, and I'm not just talking about a romantic love relationship, uh, a marriage, or a dating relationship, but just any relationship that's a love relationship. This could be a close friendship. It could be the relationship between brothers and sisters, assuming that the brothers and sisters actually love each other at this time. Um, That was a a joke, Um, and a bit of a confession, but uh, no. Um, I love you, Isaiah, Uh, and Grayson. So it could be the relationship between parents and children. It could be even the relationship between an individual and a community, maybe a community that they've been called to serve, uh, they have a burden for, uh, to make a difference. There are two primary drivers that are a part of each of these love relationships, passion and persistence, Passion and persistence. Now, passion and persistence are very different, sometimes even opposite. uh, And at the same time, they're deeply interconnected. And I'll explain why. Let's break it down. Passion comes from your gut. Passion is that energy, that force that's deep inside. And it comes out in emotional ways. And often it's beyond our ability to control or contain We've all experienced passion, maybe some of us in recent weeks or even days. uh, One of the ways that we experience passion in society is when somebody says just the wrong set of words, or maybe the right set of words, that kind of wells up this passionate force within you and forces you up and onto a soapbox, We've experienced this. Now, in our culture, the word soapbox is really a negative thing, but this experience doesn't have to be negative. This passion, this force that lifts us up onto a soapbox could be used for good or for evil. It depends on the the way in which the communication happens. The same force that drives someone who's a missionary up onto a box with tears in their eyes, they say, God... Loves you so deeply you don't even understand it. Is the same force that could drive someone up onto a soapbox, the the street preacher who yells with anger and venom in their voice into their megaphone. God hates you and you're all going to hell if you don't turn around. Right? This is passion. It drives us from deep within, and we can't often do anything to control it or create it. Uh, On the other hand, we have persistence. And persistence is very different from passion. Persistence does not begin in the gut. Persistence comes from above the surface. And it's often uh, associated with making a conscious, logical decision to do something. Uh, I'll give you an example. I um, have decided, I've realized that for me to be a healthy person... Uh, I need to work out about three times a week. And I don't just mean physically healthy. I mean, for me, as a holistic human being needing spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical health, I need to work out about three times a week. That's just the way God has designed me to be my healthiest. I've got to exert myself and come to that point of exhaustion, and I'm just going to be healthier all the way around. Now, um, sometimes passion drives me to work out. Other times... Not so much. On Monday morning, my alarm went off at about 5.45 in the morning, uh, and if I stood here today and told you that from somewhere deep within me there was this irresistible force that thrust me out of bed, turned off my alarm, threw on my gym clothes, and had me rush to the gym chugging water and protein powder, I would be lying to you. Uh, No, my passion on Monday morning at 5.45 when my alarm went off said, what are you doing? Turn that thing off, close your eyes, pull up the covers, and go back to sleep. But persistence is above the surface. And there's this opportunity for persistence to work against passion. And so my persistence allowed me to make a decision, a conscious, above-the-surface decision to reject my passion and move me towards a goal that I have. Now, in that story I just told... Persistence is sort of the good guy of the story, if you will, and passion is the bad guy. But uh, in our culture, often in certain pockets, the opposite is what we celebrate. Passion is what we celebrate rather than persistence. And and one of the most primary examples of this is rom-com movies, okay? Anybody a fan of rom-com movies? A few fans of rom-com movies. Now, I'm a little bit out of the rom-com game, I'll admit, but I... I cannot say that I have ever seen a rom-com movie where the plot line went something like this. Once upon a time, there was a man and a woman, and they fell deeply in love. And they, they began to date, and they would spend time together every day, and they would stay out late and walk under the stars and look deeply into each other's eyes, and they just kiss all the time. And one day, they, they decided to get married, and after they got married the passion sort of slowly started to fade and kind of drift off. And uh, one day they woke up and realized that they didn't have strong feelings for each other at all. But every Tuesday night, they showed up for date night for the rest of their lives. Roll credits. (laughs) I've never seen this movie. Um, This movie doesn't exist because... In rom-coms, we don't celebrate persistence. Now, I think that'd be a beautiful story. If, if a husband and wife decided, we're going to stick this out, even though we don't have these emotional feelings, that'd be a beautiful story of love. It's not always what is able to be the case, um, but it'd be a, a beautiful story. But it's not what's celebrated in our culture. What's celebrated in our culture is love, uh, often love, the word love, it can be replaced with passion in these movies, right? When the passion's gone, the love's gone, and that is a dangerous place to live. Because if a relationship is based entirely on passion, well, passion, it can't be controlled. It ebbs and flows naturally, and when the passion is gone, where's the love? There's no more. But we need both. Now, passion is not a bad thing. Let me reiterate, God is a passionate God, And God created us to be passionate people. If you want to see the most palpable picture of passion, you need look no further than the passion of Christ. There was something deep within the gut of Jesus Christ that was so strong it drove him to take step after excruciating step straight to the cross Because his passionate love for you could not be stopped. Passion is a beautiful thing. But that's not the only kind of love that Jesus has for you. Jesus also has persistence. Jesus will consistently love you in ways that sometimes you see and sometimes you don't. Jesus with his disciples was loving his disciples in persistent ways, whether it was not just the cross or the, the miracles, the crazy fun times of casting out demons and healing the sick. He was also loving his disciples in the you know, seven-day walks through the desert where it's super boring and hot and gross. Jesus loves in persistent and passionate ways. Now, there's one more thing about persistence and passion, and I alluded to it already. They're deeply interconnected. Sometimes they work opposite one another. Sometimes they work in concert together, but they're deeply interconnected, and here's how. Persistence is the only way that we can influence passion. You can't think really hard and try to drum up this deep, guttural, powerful feeling just with your brain, right? It's not possible. Uh, You could try it right now. There's nothing that you could do that for. But persistence, you can influence. Persistence is the only way that we can have a direct influence on our passion. I'll give you an analogy. Every one of you right now has a heart that is beating. And your heart that's beating is pumping blood throughout your body, and it's keeping you alive. This is passion, now, if you were to close your eyes right now and think really hard, there is nothing you could do to make your heart beat any faster or any slower or stop it and, and tell it to take a break, take a rest, or anything like that. You can't directly influence your heart with your brain. However, there is one way that we can influence our heart rate, our heartbeat. It's through breathing. We're going to do an exercise all together. Everyone with me, take in a deep breath and hold it. Now let it out. When you did that just now, your heart rate slowed. And if you were to do that six or eight times with a heart rate monitor and you're in a really stressful situation or you just finished a workout and your heart's racing at 150 beats per minute, if you were to do that breathing exercise, you would see your heart rate start to drop little by little. And you're not thinking about dropping your heart rate, you're just breathing. And through the persistence of breath, you can influence the passion of your heart. Does that make sense? This persistence in love as a driver of love relationships is what Jesus is talking about here in John 15. Last week Pastor Jason taught from John 15 verses 1 through 5. This morning I read 5 through 9 and Jason highlighted for us the number of times that Jesus said the words remain in me. Do you remember that? Remain in me and, and As he instructed, I pulled out a pen and I underlined all the times that Jesus said the word remain. And in two verses, verses 4 and 5, Jesus said remain four times. And I didn't uh, stop there at verses 4 and 5. I continued throughout the next few verses. And and I discovered that if you open it up through verse 10, in verses 4 through 10, Jesus says the word remain nine times. Now maybe if you were going through your Bible, you didn't see the word remain, you saw the word abide. And that's another way to translate the biblical language here for remain, it's abide. And I love the word abide because it provides an even deeper context for what Jesus is inviting us to do. Have you ever thought about the word abide and where it came from? Maybe if uh, most of us don't really use this word in our everyday life, but uh, if you were being goofy one day, maybe you welcomed some guests into your house and said, "Welcome to my humble abode." Abide is the verb for abode. Jesus nine times in John fifteen verses four through ten is saying, "Home in." Me. You see that? Home in me. If we were to take the word home and change it from a noun to a verb, this is what Jesus is saying home in me. And last week, Jason was preaching about why we should remain or home in Jesus. And this week, we're going to talk about how. Why? I'm sold. I'm convinced. We need it. Jesus said right here in verse 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. But what about how? What about how? Well, uh, there's a similar passage in the Old Testament, and maybe uh, no one has in this room has connected these two passages before as being similar, but there's a similar passage where God is telling his people this same sentiment that Jesus is telling his people in John 15, and it's in Leviticus 23. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We'll be there for a few minutes. Leviticus 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals the appointed festivals of the lord which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies now in common language what's going on here is jesus is giving his people a calendar of events and if you're to read the rest of the chapter leviticus 23 you'll see this calendar of seven festivals and a weekly rhythm that is to sort of govern the life of the people of israel and there's a purpose for it it's because god wants his people to home in him, to abide in him, to remain in him. Now, unless there are Messianic Jews in the room I'm unaware of, none of you follow this calendar, uh, and that's okay. This calendar was for the people of Israel, for the Hebrew people. However, there is wisdom for us that we can get from the words of God in Leviticus 23. Let's start in verse 3. Leviticus 23, verse 3, God said, There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, a rhythm of every seven days, a day for the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Yes? uh, This is not a trick question. What are we doing right now? We're at church. When was the last time we did this? Six, seven days ago. Yeah. Um, Good. Well done. Now, A quick plug for Sabbath, because Sabbath is different than going to church. Sabbath uh, is a practice um, that has really changed my life, and it's a day where uh, we unplug from things that are less important and plug into the things that matter most so that we can rest in the knowledge that God is working so that we don't have to. Uh, My family practices Sabbath on Saturdays, and uh, I don't do any church work. I don't do any school work. Uh, I try to unplug from my phone, and it's just a beautiful time to plug into my relationships with family, with friends, with God. And if you want to talk about how to implement a Sabbath practice into your life, it has changed my life forever, and I'd love to talk to you about it. But the wisdom from this is that God knows his people Need a regular rhythm of reminding themselves that uh, that God is a part of everyday life. This is a day for the Lord. That God is the one to worship. We gather here on Sundays and we sing songs to the Lord and we listen to the proclamation of the scriptures because we need to be reminded every seven days, honestly more frequently than that, but at least every seven days that God is worthy of worship and that I'm not. Friends, if I go uh, missing a week of gathering with my worship community to worship, my life starts to drift off course. I don't know about you. I need this regular rhythm of reminder. Let's continue in verse 4. And this is into the, the annual festivals. These are the Lord's appointed festivals. The sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover, that's the first festival, begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, or in other words, the next morning, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. The second festival for 7 days you must eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For 7 days, present a food offering to the Lord, and on the 7th day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So, it's a 7-day feast that begins with the feast of the festival of Passover and continues into unleavened bread, and here's what's going on in this passage. The people of Israel had been rescued from their captivity in Egypt. Do you remember this story? And God delivered them. He parted the Red Seas, and they went through the walls of the ocean, and they were delivered from a past slavery, a past salvation. And this festival, it's all these words about unleavened bread. What happened on that night is that God told them, when you make dinner tonight, make it without yeast. And, and the reason was that if you put yeast in bread and you let it sit for a while, it'll rise, and you bake it, and it's delicious. But if you make it without yeast, you don't have to wait for it to rise. And God was saying, we're getting out of here, and it's going to be fast. And so make it without yeast. Don't, you don't have time for it to rise and just bake it flat, eat it, and let's go. And the people of Israel are now been told by God every year, celebrate in this way. Make bread without yeast so that you can remember what I did for you in the past. And that's the first piece of wisdom from Leviticus 23 for us. We need rhythms of life that help us to remember past salvation. In some ways, this is a communal thing. We celebrate Christmas every year and we remember when Jesus was born and we celebrate and we offer gifts as a a symbol of the gift that God gave in the gift of his own son. But there's also ways that this is very unique to you. Each of us has been saved by God from past oppression or slavery or persecution or heart wound or anything like that in our own experiences. And what would it be to have a rhythm where we consistently give ourselves space to remember a past salvation? The next two festivals are the offering of the first fruits and the festival of weeks, and they give us our second piece of wisdom for life today. And the offering of the first fruits happened at harvest. Whenever they... First, gathered in the first fruits of their harvest. This is an agrarian society. Before they ate any bread or even, you know, munched on some some cracked wheat or some roasted grain, they were to bring a sheaf of grain to the Lord as an offering. And it's almost like a dramatized version, uh, recognizing that everything that we have is a gift from God. And so, and to dramatize that, they, the people of Israel would offer a, an offering of generosity back to God in the form of offering this sheaf of grain before they would eat anything else. This flowed into the Festival of Weeks, which happened at Second Harvest, um, where the people would offer, again, uh, food offerings to the Lord once they'd gathered in the remains of the harvest. And here's the piece of wisdom for us. You see, the people of Israel were in agrarian society, and the, the planting and the harvest seasons was the rhythm of their life. It was their everyday life. It was all of their jobs was to plant and to harvest. It's how they lived. It's how they spent their time. It's how they survived. And in the same way as the people of Israel had rhythms to recognize that all of life was a gift, And all their needs were provided for by the God who brings the rain and makes the seeds grow. We need to have rhythms of life that remind us consistently that all of life is a gift from God. Some of you do this uh, in some ways already. Maybe before every meal that you eat, you pray and you offer thanksgiving. That's an opportunity to remind yourself before you consume food that all of life, all that you have, the food that sustains you and keeps you alive is a gift from God. There are other ways that you could incorporate this. We don't live in an agrarian society. We don't all do the same job. We all have different jobs. Uh, but we all have a certain time that work begins every day. Maybe for you uh, to do this recognition that all of life is a gift from God. It it looks like showing up to work a few minutes early. Maybe you work from home and you sit down at your desk five minutes early. Maybe uh, you commute and you get in the car and before you turn on a podcast or listen to music, you just have a little time of gratitude and recognition. God, thank you for my job. Thank you for providing all my needs. We need to recognize that God is a part of our everyday life. And the final piece of wisdom for us from Leviticus 23 comes in the form of the festival of trumpets and the Day of Atonement. The Festival of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement were just over a week apart, and they were two separate festivals, but they were connected. The Trumpets uh, was one day where they would blow the trumpets and have a a sacred day to the Lord, and the trumpets were a symbolism as a wake-up call to the people of Israel, and it would usher them into a period just over a week of self-analysis to uh, think back on all the ways that they'd rebelled against God in the past year and have a time and a chance for repentance. But not for the sake of condemnation, not for the sake of judgment or discouragement, but it was all leading into the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was a day of worship where the people of Israel would look forward in hope to a future salvation, where all their sins would be forgiven and cleansed. So we have looking back in remembrance at a past salvation. We have recognizing God in everyday life, and we have looking forward in hope to a future salvation. We have one way that we do this as a church. It's through the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday ushers in Lent. Lent is a 40-day period of fasting, self-analysis, and repentance that leads us into a remembrance of the death of Jesus on the cross in Holy Week and a remembrance of his resurrection, a looking forward to the hope of our own resurrection in the last day. We do this as a church in a communal way. You can do this uh, on your own in, in your own context. I have a group of guys that I meet with every week, and every week we meet to confess sin and to look each other in the eyes and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And every single week I get a chance to hold my head a little bit higher because the burden and guilt and shame of my sin has been released by the Holy Spirit through the lips of my brothers in Christ. Here's the thing, friends. These rhythms of recognizing God, these rhythms of homing in Christ, they're deeply contextual. We don't live in a society where we can have the same calendar like the people of Israel did to to encompass this. And that means that only you can decide what are the things that you need to look back at past salvation, to recognize God in your everyday life and to look forward in hope to a future salvation. So I can't tell you what would be your rhythms of persistence and remaining, homing, but I can offer you a little bit of encouragement. God can only be worshipped and interacted with if he reveals himself first. Now what do I mean by that? Well, and In the law for the people of Israel, God showed them, this is what I'm like. This is how you can engage with me. And the people of Israel learned through the offering of the law how to interact with God. Well, we now have a new covenant. Jesus, in his own life, in his own words, and through the imparting of the Holy Spirit, has revealed to us how we can interact with him and what his heart is toward us. And so here's... The encouragement, here's the revelation of Christ. We'll read John 15, verse 9 one more time. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, home in my love. Jesus has said to us that he loves us, sinners like us, in the same exact kind of way as the Father has loved him, perfect Jesus. And his heart is open. He's offering you the chance to respond And if you're thinking, I don't have a a passionate love for God like somebody else, I I, want to grow in that. Jesus is offering you the opportunity through rhythms of persistence to grow in your love for him. So make your home in the love of Jesus. We do this together. We do this as individuals. And we do it all empowered by and guided by the Holy Spirit. Hear him say to you today, Make your home in my love. Let's pray. Oh God, there is so much calling for our affection our attention, our love, our hearts. And only you can satisfy. Only you can heal all of our wounds. Only you can bear all of our burdens. And I don't know if everyone in the room is going to pray this part with me, but uh, I know some will, that we want to grow in our love for you. We want to lift you up to the position of the greatest love in our heart more than we love anything else. Help us, Lord. Minister with each of us. Plan with us. Show us the rhythms of our life that we might learn how to persist in love for you and let that persistence drum up a well of passionate love for you. thank you that we can love because you first loved us and God as we continue into this time of offering my prayer is that you would bless the gifts that you would use them to bear fruit in your community for your good purposes and that you would bless the givers with the freedom just a taste, a little taste of the freedom that comes from giving things away you, God. We love you.